0: Alright everyone, uh, welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast, uh, this is episode 41, uh, again, so so awesome that th- this podcast is, is doing so well, um, get a lot of great feedback from it, um, you know, just humbled that you guys are all listening. I want to just remind you guys, the Apex Vaulting store is online. It's open. If you want to get yourself an Apex t-shirt, you can do it now. All right, You can order it. We're mailing them out all across America. Um, So If there's anything that you guys want, check out the shop. Also, September 22nd, we're doing our Apex Vaulting Strength and Conditioning for Pulvo Clinic. It's $30. We're going to be going over the training that we do at Apex uh, to keep our athletes... Really strong, really healthy, and continuing to bust through plateaus and PRing. Um just as an example, we have a, a you know girls that have single leg squatted um over 200 pounds that weigh 115, 120 pounds. We've had guys that weigh about 160 single leg squat over three hundred pounds. Um and we can take you walk you through the pro- process that we take people through to, to get them to that level. Um it's just apexvaulting.com. Check us out. Um Now, without anything else, I want to introduce you guys to Jacob Sanders. Uh, Jacob started listening to the podcast, started, uh, we met at a meet and we we started talking a lot. Um, He actually just started his pole vaulting club this summer, Sandstorm Pole Vault Club. Um, And I just, I basically, Jacob, I want you to tell everybody about how, why you started your pole vaulting club, how that kind of came about and what the summer's been like for you just starting a pole vault club. Hey. Um so just uh, just to jump into it uh Let me me touch upon something that you just said. Like, you know, I I think a lot of people, when they're starting something, you think about the end point or the midpoint too much. Like, someone thinks about starting a pole vault club and they're like, oh my God, like, I can't wait to have 100 kids in my pole vaulting club. And it's like, it takes time to get to 100 kids. You know, and like you said, you may start out, you might only have one or two kids. How about even posting on social media? I know that's a little bit scary. People are worried they're not going to have followers and what's the point and this and that. And even with me, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, over 1500 followers, which is really not that big of a deal. But the way I look at it is like, dude, 1500 followers, I basically have 15 pole vault clubs on hand listening to my stuff, which is pretty cool, right? Because I have roughly 100 people a year at Apex Vaulting. So 1,500 followers, that means I have 15 pole vault clubs that listen to my stuff on social media and you don't know how that can impact you. So I I would even go even more so because I I know before we went on air, uh, you were just mentioning how you, you started being a little bit more proactive on social media. You may only have 100 followers or 200 followers right now. That's okay because that's still people that, look, they're interested in the content you're putting out. They want to learn more. And you might be the springboard that gets that person really, really pumped up. And you don't know how many clients you'll end up getting that join your club because you're posting on social media. So even if you start at one or two people, that's okay. That's a start. But let's talk about how many people did you get within the first two weeks of your club? So... I, I, what I basically
1: did was I, I just told the people that I was already coaching on, um, uh, at Westminster High School since I was going to run it at Westminster High School and I okay. had already have the phone numbers. I was like, hey guys, I'm out doing this. If you just like tell your friends, um, maybe like any of the other vultures from the other schools that you've uh, that you've like got their phone numbers or, or whatever, just mm-hmm. just let them know. And uh, so I had like before i even started it, i had between like 15 and 20 people said like that they would come like and start at some point during the summer um but a bit of the problem was that, that a lot of people were on summer vacations
0: right so um we ended up um i ran the first two practices
1: for free we had like um we had like at each of those, right. And then I, I threw on the um fifteen dollar price set, and then at the same time, that's when everyone left for vacations
0: because okay. the first two
1: prices were the last week of school.
0: Right, right, um, right. So we we took like a little
1: bit of a dip, but uh, I mean now we're at we're back at the point where we have
0: like twenty people. Um, nice. I
1: mean regularly,
0: regularly. Right. Um and yeah, we, we have, like, more people have come
1: than, like, have, uh, have ever said, like, at the beginning of the summer that they were interested. We've reached out to, I think we've had more than a dozen different schools send people to
0: the club at some point. And it's been, it's been, like, less than two months. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and so that that's the awesome thing about it. And I remember you telling me how you didn't do any marketing. This was all just kind of word of mouth. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> And you got that kind kind of response, which is awesome. And this is you still jumping outdoors, you know, right? Yeah, yep. So
1: Everything he, is on the high school
0: runway. Right. So he, hear me out on this, and I want people to think about it. Okay, if you were about to start a strength and conditioning program or a CrossFit program, and you were just going to run it at the local track, like do outside stuff, I highly doubt you would be getting 20 people that want to train with you especially if you did no marketing. Now on top of that, if you opened up a facility, you know, let's say it was even a small facility like 1500 square feet or something like that. Now you're going to have the overhead of rent even with marketing, you'd be pumped if you got 20 clients right away. Pumped. And so that that's what people need to realize with Vault is that Th- this sport can grow. There's people that want to pole vault, but you have to provide access. You have to have access to the sport. And and so, you know, there was something that you you had uh, talked about. What were the numbers that you found out about Maryland? You were comparing the population of Maryland Uh-oh. and New Jersey, and and about the the competitor numbers. Why don't you break that down for, yes. for the listeners? Yes. So.
1: I I, um, I I saw that there were like a lot of uh, successful clubs in, in Jersey, MPA uh, and I was like kind of looking at the numbers um, and I, I mean I'm the only club in Maryland uh, we have like other clubs like DC Vault is starting right. to like run some Baltimore practices mm-hmm. but they're still I mean they, they're DC they're, they're right. a DC organization right but, right. right. Um, Yeah, Uh, and and I also noticed that like um, our state record was like pitiful compared to like compared
0: to the other states. Right. Um, Like I. I Well, what what are the state records?
1: So the the Maryland uh, indoor. The guy's state record is fifteen one and outdoor is fifteen three. And I looked up compared to Pennsylvania, which is literally right down the road for most people. Right. And fifteen three would have gotten would have
0: ranked seventh in just twenty eighteen for Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in New Jersey, to be fair, I mean, in New Jersey this year, if you jumped 15-6, you would have won states. You know what I mean? So 15 is still a good jump, but yeah, as far as records, like all-time best, I mean, even Jersey, I mean, PA just had their first 17-foot high school boy. New Jersey's state record is 17-4 and a quarter or half, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, so, I mean, and what, what's the girl, do you know the girl's record in Maryland? That's a good record. Or it was uh, yeah, it was actually,
1: um, Olivia Gruber. I think she's like killing it in the,
0: in the yeah, NCAA. yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> a, she's a she's a DC Vault girl. I remember her. Yeah, she yeah she she did really well at, at Kentucky with Toby Stevenson. Um, yeah. but, um, but, but anyway, so you, you see that there's a need, you know, there's like nothing down in Maryland, but g- go over yes. the population numbers. Cause you had told oh, me the population yes. comparison yes. between New Jersey and Maryland yes. and then the participation numbers. Cause that's a really, I think, big, big yes. indicator. So those numbers that, that I sent you before were basically,
1: it was like Maryland has a population of like 6 million and it's. Uh, like 9 million population for New Jersey. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's about like 50% higher. Mm-hmm. But, um, I'm gonna have into the, like the high school
0: vault numbers. Maryland has, uh, maybe about 500 and, um, Jersey has over a
1: thousand,
0: which is a lot wow. more than 50% higher. <laughs> right, right. That's um, double. That's double. It's, it's, it's so, yeah. okay. And then, and then you looked at 100 meter numbers, right? And what um, was that? Yeah. Yeah, um, and I I forget the
1: exact numbers, but, uh, it was, it was like 35, 40% higher, um,
0: for a 100-meter population. Right, so it didn't double. The 100-meter numbers didn't double for Jersey participation. Yeah. But in the pole vault, we doubled. And like you said, I think that really shows that in Jersey, we've grown the sport of pole vault. Because of the clubs that are in New Jersey and near New Jersey, You know, there's a lot more participation. And so we literally are growing the sport in New Jersey. I mean, in New Jersey, yeah. you have Vault Factory, my club, Apex Vaulting, and then Vertical Adventures, which is in the south. But then near New- the New Jersey border we have Vertical Assault and Philly Jumps Club. So And then in yeah. the New York border near us is Flying Circus. So there's six potential clubs that kids could be going to, which allows access. Like, I mean, this was something that I kind of, on somebody's post recently, I think it was yesterday, Brian Munchein posted something, and we started talking about just the sport in general, and he brought up a, a, you know, a very good point. Uh, you know, Brian said that, look, in a lot of other sports, they're more accessible, which is absolutely true. Think about it. If you want to play basketball, dude, you don't even have to join anything to play basketball. You go buy yourself a basketball, you can find a basketball court to shoot some hoops at. But the problem with our sport is accessibility. And just by having these pole vaulting clubs, we have a larger demographic of, of high school kids competing in the sport. So for people out there listening who are, you know, love pole and they're like, man, what you know, I, I wish there was more access. If you want to, if you really love the sport, because I, I always hear from people who are like, man, I wish I could still be doing it. Man, I wish I was still involved. There's opportunity. You can open up a club where you live. And I, I would obviously always suggest to start small. Like, you're doing, Jacob. It's super smart. You started at the high school you were tra- uh, coaching out of. The, you know, you asked for permission. They allowed you to start the club. And now, I mean, like, you just told me um, that you're thinking about even finding an indoor spot for this year, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: because, I mean, looking at the numbers, if there's uh, 500 high school
0: vaults in the state, then there's no, like... There's no uh, right place for them to train. Like, it gets pretty cold and snowy uh, in yeah. Maryland. I mean, we're, well, we're, we're south of Jersey, but but still, um, right? Well, and like to train. Yeah, well, and, and think about that. Right now, you have twenty kids, and you're outdoors. You go indoors when people have a real necessity; they have to go indoors to train. That's how they maybe that's what gets them into your club, but once they get your training, then they fall in love with it and they train year round, you know. So, I mean, yeah. look, that, that's kind of how it works, you know. It's like you, you have to pr- the initial value that a pole vaulting club brings before it's even coaching is just access to poles and access to pit. And that's like that's another thing that I kind of want to bring up, Jacob, is like, uh, you know, we're at really the beginning stages of this. I mean, pole vault has been around forever, but as far as growing the sport, we're at the beginning stages right now. I think more, more and more pole vault coaches have to realize your biggest, biggest value right now, flat out. The reason people are coming to you is because you have a pit and because you have poles. Now, yep. if you and can I'm add if, you <laughs> right, and 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 if you can <laughs> add value to that. That raises the game and that's so important, you know, and that's why even like the social media that I do, I'm trying to put content out there in the hopes that I'm helping people develop their programs. Because I think if you have a process that just really, really helps you so much more because I've heard from a lot of people that, you know, a lot of times it's it's just like open gym time at, at some clubs, which is fine. I think there's a need for that. I think there's some people they're not really looking to get coached much, they just want to jump. But if you want to have something year round, then you have to have more value. You know, and that that's yeah. very, very important because I actually I started my pole vaulting club at a multi sport facility, like when I went full time with Apex, where there was field turf and a strip of track, and I was on the strip of track. And what was really interesting about that place, again, it's in northern New Jersey, so we, get, we have snowy winters and stuff. Um, when it was wintertime, that place was rocking. It was packed. I mean, it had to be about a 20,000-square-foot facility, so you can imagine how big it was. place was packed. There was constantly soccer, baseball, lacrosse, field hockey, all that stuff was going on in there. And in the winter months, it was packed. I yeah. was literally the only person in the building year-round. And the reason is because once the weather got nice, where did all these people go? They went outside. Yeah. You know what I mean? Outside. So the There's thing is, like, providing value is huge. And, that, and that's why if, if you develop a process, and here's what I want to mention too, Jacob. I think too many people, I think, might be afraid to start their own Pobleton Club because they're like, I don't know if I know enough, right? Yeah, that's that, that, that might be the thing. And I think a lot of people are putting out information a, uh, out there in the pole vault community where they make it seem like you have to be a physics professor to coach the pole vault. And look, last time I checked, uh, you know, um, oh my goodness, what's his name? Who, who's that famous scientist? Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, goodness, I, I can't remember now. It starts with a T. I'm okay, looking, Brock, right? I know, I know. I'm looking it up. I, it's in my head. I can see his face. Um, Famous scientist starts with a P. Oh, uh, last name, yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? <laughs> like, okay. Neil deGrasse Tyson is not coaching pole vault, guys. Okay? Uh, people like Joe Dial coach pole vaulting. Like, you yeah. don't have to be a scientist to coach pole vaulting, you know. And like, look, I I would say that you're in the early uh, stages uh, of your pole vault coaching career. Would that be fair, Jacob? Uh, yeah. I mean, this is this would be um maybe like my fourth year. Okay, um, so awesome. awesome. So yeah, <laughs> For, fourth year coaching. You know, you you're you're really starting to build up now. You just started a club. I mean. Didn't you tell me the other day you had a girl that was just kind of starting out and she jumped 10-6 from a 5? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That, guys, that's crazy. So Jacob, who's only been coaching four years, already got a girl jumping 10-6 from a 5. Here's the scary thing is, I, I listen, I think coaches are so valuable. We provide a tremendous value. But if we're really being honest, right – even novice coaches can get kids to jump high because you need the right athlete right good athletes will jump higher you know and here's the thing the more clubs that open up the more very good competitive jumpers we will have in this sport you know so for me it's like i i see this as such such a big thing one if you provide access to people that's already huge. Now you develop a process. That's even better. You're gonna have your, your vaulters will progress faster. But now, one, I think so many people who love this sport that want this to be their life. They love pole vaulting. You can go out and start a club today, and start your journey of building a business where you could be involved with this sport for as long as you like. And you're gonna be providing access. And then we're gonna have more competitive uh, competitive. Uh, well, just better competition overall, whether it's at the high school, collegiate, or post-collegiate level, better competitions. Because think about what you said going back to the state records. I mean, other than Olivia, you know, in Maryland, you know, I mean, would you, what won the state championship this year in Maryland for girls? Um, so,
1: something
0: that, What's like,
1: up? Something that kind of bugged me about, like, uh, the- and Maryland for pole specifically is that um, we're split up into what you would call like state sectionals, and we don't have like a state meet of champs. Uh, okay. so, so we don't have like we don't ever have in the championship part of the season like the small schools compete against the big schools. Um, so we'll we'll have sometimes um, we have a one a two a three a four a class. Okay. Like, uh,
0: so you have sometimes multiple sometimes. state champs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll okay. have multiple state champs, and then uh, you know, sometimes you're left wondering, like at the end of the year, like, oh, who would have actually won? Would it have been like the,
1: the two A, um, champ, or would it have been the three A champ, maybe the four A champ? Um, right. But yeah, usually what uh, wins for girls is around 10-6, 11-feet. per that, I usually win
0: is 14-14-6. Right. And so, so there, you know, going back to growing the sport and making it more competitive, the more people that open up clubs, the more people that start to participate in the sport, and now state championships aren't won at that level. It's going to take a little bit more, you know? Yeah. And I think that's awesome. That's, that's what we want to see for our sport, you know? Um... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I, I think you're a great example of, like, you just started out this summer. You already have 20-plus kids. I, and, I mean, let's be honest. Did you have to work really, really hard to get those 20 kids?
1: <laughs> Not at all. I had people come in, like, seemingly out of nowhere. I was like, how did you hear about the club? And they're like, oh, I heard it from, like, a, a friend of a friend. And they said it was cool, so I came to try it out. And, like, by the end of the day, there's like...
0: Wow, I wish I'd known about this place sooner. I'm going to come here all the time. <laughs> right. And, and, that, and that and that's so awesome. And that's why, I, I, you know, for me, I think, like, obviously, just like any other business, there's overhead, right? Like, poles aren't cheap. Mats aren't cheap. But you know what? If you want to open up a bakery, neither are the ovens. Yeah. Nobody gets ovens for free. You know what I mean? So that's the thing. Like, I, and, and look, obviously... You know, I bought a brand new set of pits this year for my second pit. People don't have to do that. You, you can go and and find maybe a high school or a college that's getting rid of their older pits and start with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? It You don't have to buy brand new poles. You could try to buy a set of used poles. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there there's ways to save. You know, we all make our choices. But, like, you know it really, really shows like what you did this summer that people can get something off the ground. It's really not that hard now. I mean, Jacob, what do you think is going to happen now when you start posting on social media more often and you start promoting your club? I mean, it's not going to, you're not going to get less people. You're going to get more, right? Um, Yeah. yeah, So I, I don't know. I just go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say,
1: I, I, like, I, I didn't even really even spread the word or like say that we we're actually going to do like, the club until like the last week of school, like after, after the track season was like done and gone, I can only imagine how much faster the word of mouth would.
0: Around, like, actual <laughs> yeah no exactly because then at that point and here, here's something that I, I think is really really important and and look I don't begrudge anybody for doing anything I, I think anything you want to do is cool right there are the coaches that charge for attending meets that's totally okay. I do think you get into trouble when – if you do have a big club and you have 15 kids at the meet and three guys pay and the rest don't, I don't know what you do in that situation. Do you just ignore the other kids? I have no idea. Um, But for me, I would suggest go to as many meets as possible as a coach because that makes your club more visible and it shows your value. You know, so now, Jacob, when you get to indoors and your girl that jumped 10, 6 from a 5, who's now probably jumping at least 11 by indoors, and you're at the meet and you're coaching her and you have a Sandstorm shirt on and she was wearing her Sandstorm shirt, you know, for warm-ups or after the meet, now all of a sudden, you know, Mr. Smith, who was watching his daughter jump 9, is going to walk up to you and be like, hey, you know, what's – you know where what's your deal you know so that that all of a sudden becomes a great way to promote your club you know that's going to get you more people the other thing that i want to bring up now and this is huge jacob you know this podcast that i'm doing i'm sure there are those people out there that are go oh bronco you know it's not like you're joe rogan you have millions of listeners obviously it's it's pole vault. you know what i mean like this is a pole vault podcast it's not something super super popular um, I mean, look, I, I would say if you want to look at an accurate gauge of how many fans of pole vault there are, look no further than the, the Instagram, uh, the pole vault Instagram uh, groups. Like, I wouldn't look so much at um, certain professional vaulters and their following because you're going to have some international followers. Plus, I'm, like if we're being completely honest, some of the female pole vaulters – I, I don't know what the demographics would be, but you have some guys that are just following them because they're an attractive female athlete, you know, then that's just factual, right? But if you yeah. look at something like Volter Magazine, Volter Magazine has 20,000 followers, which is amazing. That's awesome. You know, um, and let me just double check cause I haven't looked at it recently. Maybe they have more now. Um, but I, I just want to be accurate. Um, yeah, they have 25,000 followers. So that's again, awesome. I think it's great, you know, but obviously if you run a pole vaulting podcast and I get thousands and thousands and thousands of, uh, of listeners right away, um, I would say my highest listen is something like 500, 600 listens on, on a particular podcast. And all my podcasts, uh, typically get to over a hundred within a couple weeks of posting it. So it's not a huge group of people listening, but there is a group of people listening. Here's the other thing. Yeah, I don't make money off the podcast, right? But, Jacob, you're a perfect example. You listen to the podcast. Because you listen to the podcast, you started a a pole vaulting club where now you have 20 20 plus vaulters. Then on top of it, you and a vaulter came up to my meet in New Jersey to the Northeast Pole Vault Club Championships, which I think you guys had a blast, right?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, man.
0: Exactly. You got uh, you got basically 10 customers from uh, four hours away from you know, because of your podcast, right? Yeah. So, and, and, and so that's the thing. Even though this podcast, I can't say I make money off this podcast. I, I kind of do. You know what I mean? And and again, I know there's going to be the people listening out here that are all oh, it's for the love of the sport, blah blah blah. Listen, I I literally love this sport. Okay, I I was a volunteer coach at Rampo College, um, up until the point that I coached my first national championship with Craig Van Leeuwen. Right, so I had coached there for years for free. However, guys, the other part of the thing that we have to be really, really true about this is I've seen so many people walk away from this sport because they can't make a living off of it. You know, and yeah, go ahead.
1: just have to look at it like compared to any other possible thing you can do with your time like let, let's say a doctor for instance like oh you know they, they do it because they love to the lives and they love making a difference um you know that that should be enough no uh they also get paid um
0: sometimes hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars per year Whoa. and they're getting something they love right right i mean yeah those <laughs> doctors do all that they care about their their patients you know they want to save lives but they have to be compensated for it you know what i mean yeah. and, and look i i think looking at other sports right it's like you know how you know a sport is healthy when you see somebody on the forbes list that's in the top 10 from your sport i mean other than usain bolt the last few years who he's an outlier in our sport he's the only track guy on that forbes list Everybody else is from other sports. You know what I mean? And, and so, you know, I think if there's people actually making money off of this sport, that means our sport is healthy, right? And the thing is, you know, and this was tough medicine, what I'm about to tell you, Jacob. I remember one year I was at the Reno vault Summit. And for those of you who don't know, Rick Baggett is a very good pole vault coach. He's on the West Coast. Uh, he has his Willamette Striders pole vaulting club. And he, he actually coached Tommy Skipper in high school who jumped 18-3. And that was the high school national record before now Mondo has like literally just changed the, the scope of what we think is possible in this sport. But at the time, Tommy Skipper was a na- na- high school national record holder, jumped 18-3, um, stud guy. So Rick Baggett, great pole vault coach. And I remember talking to Rick Baggett one time at Reno and at this point I have to tell you uh, my business-wise I was not doing very well at all I I would be operating at a loss most of the time because I would always you know no it's okay don't worry about it I'll take care of it I'll eat it don't worry Uh, it's okay pay me later you know I did all those things because I cared so much and I'm talking to Rick Baggett and he said something to me he goes Bronco you say you want to help people. I go, "Yeah, Rick, that's why I do this. Like I want to help people." He goes, "Well, if you go out of business, you can't help anyone." Yeah. And that really that hit me that day. Like I I was upset at first cuz I was like, "This guy's cold. He doesn't care about his kids." But you know, I thought about it and I was like, "He's right. He's right. Like Like if I really love this sport and I want to keep helping people, then I need to make my business valuable so I can keep doing it. You know, and in fact, I thought about this, you know, Jacob is like, I want to make my business so valuable that I can have the ability to hire people. Now I have people that work a little part time for me here and there, you know, they cover like one day a week and such. And I do have Andrew does a Saturdays and I have a certain deal with him and he's, he's doing well. Like, you know, I gave him a, a 80, 20 split and he, he's making almost 15,000 a year just coaching Saturdays. But it's like, you know. I want to get to the point where this business is valuable enough that I could really pay people to do things, you know, whether it's coaching, run the business aspect of it, do paperwork, whatever it is. You know, but that means our sport is healthy when there's pivotal clubs like that. You know, if we're being really honest, there's a lot of pivotal clubs out there that, you know, whether the the clubs are being run on, you know, someone's own property. It's a side thing, which is fine, you know, or they somehow have a lucky deal. They struck a lucky deal with someone where they have almost no overhead. Again, that's all fine, but some people aren't running it like a business and that's fine. That's okay. But what I'm speaking to all those people that don't have those opportunities, maybe they don't have a big enough backyard to put a pit in. Maybe they don't know someone with a big, you know, open space, like a barn or something like that. You know, for those of you that actually want to do this for a living and make a business out of it and help lots of people, you can make it a viable business. You can. you know, And that's what's going to grow the sport. And, and it was tough for me to hear Rick Baggett say, hey, if you go out of business, you can't help anybody. But he was right. I had to start thinking more on the business end so that I kept the, my club healthy and so I could continue to coach people. And look... And, and, and I want you to chime in on this, Jacob. I still have free customers, right? Like, I, I have, uh, you know, just this year, I had two kids from Newark. Uh, for people who don't know, Newark is an inner city. I had these kids. They would take a bus ride over here, walk a mile to the club, and then jump. I didn't charge those kids. I met them at a meet. They were passionate about the pole vault. I knew they didn't have the money to pay for lessons. So I, you know, I let them come in. You know, so I still am doing stuff like that, but I know on the flip side, you know, if I don't have paying customers, I'm going to go out of business and I'm not going to be coaching pole anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just the, the, the one thing
1: with that, uh, with the, you know, charging some people and the not charging others as is, is one, you know, there's always going to be those people with like the green eyed monster, uh, uh-huh. even, even if, like, they can afford it, and they know, like, the other person can't afford it. And then also, there's, uh, I, I believe one or two, uh, NCAA, uh, you know, restrictions on, uh, showing favoritism to, uh, possible recruits. So,
0: right, thought, right, right. I mean, th- these kids, <laughs> these kids weren't kids that I was recruiting or anything, and, you know. Yeah. I mean, I get all that. I just I, – I think people sometimes worry about those technicalities too much. I mean, listen, if somebody wants to be mad at me because I helped somebody out, like, that's fine. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I – here, here's the thing, Jacob. I always feel like this. If you're doing the right thing, you're doing the right thing. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if I can help someone, I can help someone. Even, you know, if if one of my club kids listens to this podcast and goes, what the heck, why is he doing that? You know, that's not fair. Well, you know, it's it's also not fair that those kids, you know, live in Newark and they have to struggle, whereas maybe somebody else was born into a better family. That's not fair either. Um, But, you know, whatever, it is what it is, you know. Um, So I just, I'm not too worried about that stuff. Um, and I'm not saying anybody has to do that listen I'm not I, I, that's just me that's just how I feel I, I like to do stuff like that um, you know but um, yeah I, I. again I just think you know what, what do you think about that idea of what I was saying about you know yeah you want to help people but you have to run the business you have to you have to make it work yeah right? I mean, that's the, that's just the
1: way Get it a hundred percent that, uh, you know, what? just it, even, even specifically for my situation, like, mm-hmm. I've always looked at it, and, like, I've, I've always talked to every, um, you know, head coach or athletic director that I've worked with, I've always told them, like, look, man, I, I'm someone that wants to give you a full-time effort, but I can't give you a full-time effort on, like, a come once a week, like, <laughs> right. Um, right. I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to work like two other jobs in order to, in order to pay my bills,
0: right? <laughs> right, well, so, so, so he, he, here's my thing, Jacob, it's very interesting, and listen, I, like I said, I didn't get paid at Ramon until I coached my first national championship, and even after I got paid, initially I was getting paid 2000 a year. Which, like you said, it's like that's not full-time pay. And I was – I wouldn't say I was giving Rampo full-time effort because at the time it's like I was coaching Rampo, I was working full-time as a teacher and I also coached my high school club. So I gave them a lot more time than $2,000 worth. Um, So I definitely think, you know, especially in the beginning, people have to make sacrifices and they have to earn their keep. But – and this is a big but – when people do it in other fields, like let's say, for example, if you're just – a strength and conditioning coach. You do your internships, you grind away, you work for free for a few years, and finally you land your 30, 40, $50,000 a year strength and conditioning job. Or you start your strength and conditioning gym, your own business, right? The problem in the pole vault is you can literally coach for free your whole life. There are, there are no full time coaching positions for pole vault only coaches. And that's, that's yep. the scary truth. And even if you're really good at pole vault, they're going to want you to split time with high jump, long jump, triple jump, maybe the hurdles. They're going to want you to coach a lot more. And now, all of a sudden, you're the pole vault guy. You wanted to coach pole vault. You love the sport. But now you have to split your time amongst all these other events. And here's yep. the scary thing. If your pole vaulters aren't jumping so high, the way college track goes you have to follow the winners. So if your pole vaulters yeah. aren't jumping well, you can't spend time to develop them then in the hopes that 2 3 years down the line they're they're productive. No, you need to go where your winning stud athlete is. It's such a weird yeah. thing to me because that that's the problem with track. Very little time is spent developing at the collegiate level. It's more maintaining and and taking care of like the thoroughbreds, but like those, you know, Let's just leave the other ones on the side. They can, they can fend for themselves. And, and it's a funny thing, whereas, like, for me, I, I like pole vault so much, it doesn't matter. I don't care if I'm coaching a 9-foot girl or a 17-foot guy. I'm just trying to develop skill and awareness in this sport, have the kids have a great time, you know what I mean? Have them learn the lessons that they can learn through sport, you know? But in track, we're just, we just kind of, we're coaches are like bandwagon fans, right? It's like, who won this year? The Warriors, Golden State Warriors. I'm a Golden State Warriors fan. Next year, if the Lakers win with LeBron, I'm going to get me a Lakers jersey. If the year after the New York Knicks win, I'm going to get me a Knicks jersey. That, that's kind of what happens w- with track coaches. They kind of jump from one athlete to the next, depending on who's successful, and to me it's it's really, really weird because what's really going on there? Are the people really developing talent then? You know? And and going back to the point originally that I was making is like now for you, like you said, I totally understand you telling a coach, hey, if you're giving me part-time pay, I can't give you full time effort. But the problem with the pole vault is you're never gonna get full time pay. Nobody's gonna give full time pay, you know, for just a pole vault coach. I mean I don't know Brian that's Compton's that's situation in Arkansas, but if he's getting full time just for coaching Powell, he's like one of ol- the only one, you know, that's getting that. Yeah, well,
1: that's that's where the uh, the supplemental income from from the club.
0: Yeah. and
1: yeah it, it'll eventually be a thing that I can uh, I can give a full time effort to um, and you know that, that's what I want to do I don't want to like I don't want to end up like oh working in this one job and then this other job and then like
0: using that to, to pay you know, for, for your your passion
1: to work for free at the, like in the cobalt world like no I'd rather just a solution to where I can give all my time towards being the best football coach that I can be for uh, you know my athletes. Yeah, and I think I think that helps me, but it also helps them. Like
0: you know if they're if they're getting a full effort instead of a partial effort. Right, exactly. Oh my god, hundred percent. I mean, I I always think about that. You know, it's like the way the kids get to experience the club now versus, let's say, the Rampo College athletes who would see me two, maybe three times a week, you know, but in a very, like, half-assed way. Like, when we used to go to the New York City Armory and they would just jump with me for, like, an hour and a half and then they lifted on their own at the school. Now, it's like everything's here. They're getting the full experience. You know what I mean? That's, that's just better. The other thing that I want to touch on uh, real quick uh, before we finish this podcast is here's another idea. Okay. Cause for some people, they really like pole vaulting, but they don't want to coach for a living. They don't want They're not going to be a professional jumper, but they still want to jump. But because of the lack of clubs and accessibility, they can't do it as a hobby. Do you see what I'm saying? Cause for, for what you were describing, like if you want to coach, right one option is to work another full time job and then coach for free at a college but then it's like your life is split into two you know what i'm saying where some people they just want to keep pole vaulting as a hobby you know what I, I it was very interesting i looked at my demographics on instagram and i kind of was guessing this to begin with but I, my largest demographic is tw- is 24 and under which, what does that tell you? It's high school kids and college kids who are pole vaulting. And then yeah. it dies off. The only, and I guarantee, the only reason I even have older people following me on Instagram is because they're coaching. Right? Yeah. There's no, like, 25 up followers. There's no 30-year-olds that are following me. Why? Because people who love pole vaulting, right, they're young. They're late, 14, 15 years old right now. They're super passionate about it. If they jump high enough, they jump in college because that's that's the other thing too. There's so many colleges out there they don't even have vaulters on their team, but they'll only take you if you can like jump high enough to score in conference. So there's oh, no well, there's I, no developing I mean, of the event. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: well, I mean a, a lot of those places
0: like don't have the the resources. To well, that's that's fair. But, but, well, that's that's fair, I'm gonna and I'm gonna bring that up in a second. But like. Th- then if you, if once you're done with college, that's it, it's over. Cause even this, think about this. There's no adult pole vault experience because if you go to a college track meet one, you probably have to travel two hours to go to the college track meet. Now you have to sit around all day. That's also if they accept your entry, right? If they take unattached athletes. So now it's like, yeah. you know, you sit around all day, you finally jump for 20, 30 minutes. And now you got a two hour ride home and it's like, why did I waste my time? There's no event like CrossFit events. I mean, you have CrossFit events where you go, a lot of loud music, everybody's pumped up, everybody's having a good time. They might even be serving beer. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's a great social event too. Whereas like, you go to that college event, you know, even if you're like 24 years old, you're seen as like the old dude that's like still going to a college track meet. Whereas like now, think about something like pole vault club championships that I ran. These pole vault only events... They have open sections where now it's like, no, it's cool. It's fine if you're 25, 35, 45, 55. You know, it's fine. You're part of the pole vault community. And it was almost like the, the older you were, the more cheers you got there. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. And so here's yeah. my thing I, I even I, I think about this all the time. People, there, there were suggest. Some people suggested, Bronco, why don't you have the elites jump first in the morning? That way, all the high school, middle school kids are walking in while they're jumping. That way, they'll have more cheering. Here's yeah. My, yeah, but here's my thought on that, Jacob. Here's my thought on that. Yeah. Then, what you're doing is you're fabricating fans. That, they didn't come to actually watch the elites. They're coming to compete, and the elites happen to be here. The other thing... And let's let's be honest, there's differences between middle school, high school, and now open pits, right? Meaning, when you have middle school kids jumping, you can't play music with curse words, right? The announcer isn't going to be like, oh my god, Sally should have went up a poll, that's why she missed 7-6. The announcer can't do that, right? Because it's a little kid, you want to be positive, right? High school, you ramp it up a little bit, but now for open Think about what I said. At CrossFit events, they're even serving beer sometimes. Well, now when you have the open competitors jumping, you want them to be able to play the music that the open people like, which may include curse words. The announcer probably needs to be a little bit a little bit harsher. You know what I mean? To really bring the excitement, you know? Um, and, you know, it's like you, you want it to be a nice social event for the open competitors. That's probably not the best environment for middle school kids. <laughs> Do, do you get what I'm saying? And so that's why for me, I think you got to go middle school early, then you go high school, and then open is a little bit later, so that you have the right environment and people can behave the way they want to behave. You know, where again, going back to that post-collegiate who has to go to college meets. You know, you're kind of just hanging out, waiting, and you, you know what I mean. Like, and and it's not this great social event. You know. Yeah. And that's why, that's why we're losing people. You know what I mean? That that 15-year-old kid that loved pole vault, once they're 23, 24, they move on. They go do CrossFit. You know what I mean? They pick up a different hobby. They don't want to just go to a college meet. They don't want to jump at a high school club. You have to mix it up. It's got to be a little bit different. We have to look at, at, at what those differences are. I mean, what, what do you think? Oh, I, I was going to say um –
1: Fans, like, it's so true, but, like, you can't, like, force or trick someone into, um, like, well, I, I learned, learned this like, they're doing the sales stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you can't trick or force someone into a sale. You basically, like, uh, and that's kind of what that is by, like, putting the open before the, the high school
0: and middle schoolers and like, right. forcing them them the watch you had to make sure that like they <laughs> I'm sorry you, bro- you broke up there what was that oh I was saying that you had to make sure that like the
1: experience or product or whatever is valuable enough that they actually want it not right. that they're kind of to- Trick—they're
0: forced into it because it just happens to be, like, scheduled at the right time. Right, right. Exactly. I Look, I, I, I agree. I agree. I'll, I'll even, uh, you know, and again, looking at bigger picture, I had mentioned on, on Facebook on this thread, you know, look, even, you know, talking about the sport as a whole, if we look at numbers, I remember Caterina Stefaniti being on the podcast and she said in Europe they were starting to get concerned that track was not as popular. Now, again, I don't know what they did, but I mean, look, Euro champs were a success because they had over 250,000 people spectate over the weekend. You know, those are people that bought tickets, were in the stands, that are cheering. They loved it. I don't know what they did, but they did it right. At the U.S. championships this year, they had 23,000 spectators. That's abysmal. That's abysmal. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I made a comment. I go, you know, there's that old saying, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's de- there, does it make a noise? Well, if somebody breaks a world record and nobody's in the stands, does it matter? You yeah. know, and, th- Right, and so the thing is, and don't listen. I think there's a lot of excitement about our sport. I think our sport pole vault specifically is super, super exciting. You know, I I think pole vault club championships was. So, I was so pumped up. I mean that that was really, really exciting. Day. Nice. Yeah. The thing is, people need to know that it's exciting. You need to get people into the door. You know, and people need to start thinking about that. I mean you know I, I just I, I think we have to start those conversations I think obviously the point of this podcast first things first more people need to be providing those opportunities for people to jump and for people who tell me that they love pole vault and they want it, this to be the rest of their life you can start a pole vaulting club that, that is literally the groundwork for building the infrastructure for our sport to grow we have to provide access the other thing and I got to be honest, when I was younger, I never wanted to host meets. I was so caught up in coaching Jacob that I was like, man, I just, I got to coach. That's my number one job. I don't want to host an event. And I don't know if you noticed, like at my event, I didn't spend a lot of time coaching. I was more being like the, the meat <laughs> meet director, but even more so than meat director, I would say meet promoter. You know, I was yeah. making sure everybody was having a blast, making sure everybody was having a good time. If I could coach... I would coach for a little bit, but again, I was always circulating, you know, and, and, and I was excited. You know, that, that's what I felt like was important. That I showed everybody how pumped up I was about the meet. Because I think too often, you know, people say they want things, but then they get upset when they get it. Like going back to college track meets, I can't tell you how many meet directors, they, they want a big meet. They invited all these teams. And then when they get all those teams there, the meat director looks pissed off, stressed out, and they're not pleasant to talk to. So I knew for me, I had to, I had to be pumped up. I had to be happy, and I was. That was sincere. I was like, just like when I saw, I, I keep thinking about the moment I saw the back parking lot full, and I found out there were cars around the block, you know, parked for the meat. I was just like, I was pumped, you know. And so the thing is when. I I was younger. I didn't want to put up these events because I was too into, like, coaching. But the thing is, like, even putting on events, there's a lot of people that want events. Well, you just have to put them on. The other thing that I would really, really make sure people are careful with, I love seeing people jump high. And, And I definitely want the people who jump high to be happy. But, but, our sport is more about everybody else, right? Like, if you put on an event... I mean, how many 14-foot girls did I have at my meet? One. Uh, yeah, you had uh, Cat right, <laughs> Pittman. But that's one 14-foot yeah. girl. I had a lot more 9-foot girls at my meet. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like you have to look and see, okay, what's going to make... Those people happy, the majority, and then even from a spectating standpoint, even if you're one of those high jumpers, you have to start to think, okay, how do I get more spectators? What do the spectators want out of me as a competitor? You know, because I'll tell you what, when it got down to those those last three, four guys in the open – I thought that was exciting, man. There was a little bit back and forth lead exchange. Yeah, I know, I know. You guys had to leave because you came from so far, but there was a little bit back and forth exchange. There was the passing game. They played the passing game a little bit, you know, and it was exciting. Even Dan Reynolds, who um, I just did a podcast with him. He's up from the Rochester area. Um, he was talking about. He goes, you know, Bronco, we drove down for the meet, and I knew who was going to be there, so I was like, ah, oh, you know, I I don't really have a shot at the prize money. But he goes, once the meet started, I was like, I felt good. And then he's like, I can steal this. And he's like, he got pumped up. He's jacked up to win that money. And it's like, so it's like, one, me, I go, I knew in my head, I'm like, there has to be prize money. If you want to see good competition from these, these guys and gals jumping, you got to make it worth their while to perform well. And then you're going to provide the spectators with an exciting competition which they're going to have a blast watching, you know? So it's like, that's the thing. It's like, we have to start thinking so much bigger. Uh, but again, going back to the original purpose of this podcast episode, um, one, social media, I mean, played a big part in what you're doing, Jacob. And you opened your doors and now you got 20, 20 pole vaulters. And let me ask you this, especially for those people who are like, oh, they keep talking business. Jacob, how happy are your your club kids? Are they loving the summer? Yeah,
1: they, they love it. They, you know, they don't, they don't see me or, um, I, I brought in an, another coach to help. Um, they mm-hmm. don't see, like, either of us as, like, you know, grabbing for money or whatever. I mean, they, they know that, like, all the money that they're paying is going towards polls to make their experience better. Right. Like, they don't. <laughs> so, there, there's, exactly. like no reason.
0: For them to, to be looking at, like, oh, why why are you, like, so greedy or whatever? It's not yeah. it's greed. I want to provide them a good experience, and in order to do that, I have to charge. Well, yeah, and who is your guy that came up with you? Your athlete? Uh, Joey. Joey. Man, I took a picture with Joey. That kid <laughs> looked like he was in Disney World when he came up to the meet. He literally <laughs> looked like he was <laughs> in Disney World. <laughs> He was so okay. pumped. And, and you know, and that's the thing, too. Like, I even hear from a lot of people, you know, because I charge spectators at the meet. You know, a lot of people are always like, oh, you can't charge spectators. Nobody's going to pay. And it's like, dude, people are happy to pay. People are having a blast. <laughs> you know, if you people
1: eat came just to watch one hundred thirty. Um,
0: 130, yeah. Hundred thirty.
1: That, that's crazy. And they all paid. And, you know, I, I bet at least some of them. Um, realized that like the money was going towards the, uh, the, the prize, prize money. money. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that's so cool. I like like are even some
0: people like I know Mark especially were like how can I contribute more to the prize? <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Like, so <laughs> it, yeah. It, look, it, it's just it's so exciting. I think the potential for this sport to grow is there. It's just we. I want people to know like Jacob, like what you did. You know that. Dude, just take a shot. If you really want to be involved with this sport forever, you know, it's like, just take a shot. Open up a club. That's a great way to grow the sport, and it makes a huge impact, you know. Um, so, I, I don't know. Do, did you have any uh, final words that maybe you wanted to say uh, before we end the podcast? Um, uh, just uh, you, you guys can uh, follow saints Vol- at, uh on
1: Instagram um, or yeah.
0: also- her, her is, is it, what's what's the wait what's the Instagram it's just at Sandstorm at, at Sandstorm Vault at Sandstorm Vault so you can follow them on Instagram and uh, what's your website sandstormvault.com. Awesome. That's super easy. Um, yeah. yeah, I I still I still laugh when you showed me the text uh, one of your guys texted you it was like, "Oh, well they they don't know they're going to get a, a sandstorm at the meet." You know, it's like it was so funny. So, I love I love the name. I love the name. Um but, Jacob, thanks for, thanks for being on again. Um, and Anytime. thanks also for inspiring me, Jacob, because, you know, a lot of times when you're doing social media stuff and something like a podcast, you think about, you know, is anybody listening? And, and, you know, you, you're proof that people are listening. And I'm so thankful that people are. And again, uh, if you're looking for any other content from Apex, we're at the real Apex Vaulting on Instagram, Apex Vaulting on Twitter. Um, Facebook Snapchat Uh, we have also our Apex Vaulting YouTube channel and it's apexvaulting.com if you want to reach out it's just apexvaulting at gmail.com thanks for listening everybody Jacob thanks for being on the podcast no problem (laughs) bye bye